If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention to the Gospel of Mark, the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And we're going to be looking at the first 20 verses in Mark chapter 5 and the message today, which is entitled, uh, Lord over Demons. It's about Jesus and his authority, even over the demonic world. And this is another message in our series of looking at the subject of spiritual warfare. We are at war. Uh, as uh, Tony Evans said, it's the mother of all wars, mother of all battles that we are involved in. Spiritual warfare, the enemy, as described in Ephesians chapter 6, is not that of flesh and blood. It's not human uh, individuals that we are in war against. It's the devil. It's Lucifer and all of his demons. And uh, we have seen thus far in our messages how this all began back in the book of Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden. Uh, as uh, Lucifer uh, disguised himself through the serpent, uh, tempted Eve to take of the forbidden fruit and eat. And likewise, uh, uh, Adam ate. And through their act of disobedience brought sin into the world. And uh, Lucifer, uh, the name means bright shining one or the, or the light bearer, uh, became Satan, the devil, our adversary, our enemy. And according to the book of Revelation, one third of all the angel, angels of heaven joined Lucifer uh, in his rebellion against the Lord and they were expelled, cast toward the earth. And so they are loose, uh, running around in the world today, tempting us to commit sin. The devil wants to be God, but he cannot be. He cannot be everywhere at the same time as God can. He's not all powerful as God is. He's not all knowing as God is. So he depends upon his uh, fallen angels that are called demons or evil spirits to do his work. And so we are going to look today at an individual who was demonically possessed, uh, possessed by a demon or demons. His name was Legion, which means many. So there were many demons that had possessed him, had moved in to his heart and soul and had taken over control and used him. Uh, but greater is he who is in us, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, than he who is in the world. And so we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. So Mark chapter five, beginning with verse one. They came to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gerasenes. When he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he, that is Jesus, had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And that is, he kept asking him. It's a repeated thing, constantly asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him or to beg him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. 
Jesus gave them permission and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it to the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they, that is the people, began to implore him or beg him to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not, as the Lord Jesus did not let him accompany him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. There are four basic ideas that I want to explore this morning with you as we think about this individual who was demonically possessed. Now, let me begin with a definition of demon possessed, if I may. And, and it's not the same thing as just, just being physically and mentally disturbed. Uh, to be demon-possessed means that a, an evil spirit or spirits can enter an individual's soul or heart and take full control of that individual and do with him whatever uh, the demon may please to do. Uh, this is not schizophrenic illness. Um, that's a whole different matter. This is uh, where a demon will take possession and... Uh, uh, it's not that he has a split personality. It's rather a demon will magnify and exempt his, um, his own personality, the demon's personality, rather than the individual's personality. Someone has asked, well, can Christians be demon-possessed? And uh, my understanding is no, a, a Christian cannot uh, be demon-possessed. And the reason why, of course, if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. And there's a law in physics that says no two objects can occupy the same space at the same time. So if the Holy Spirit is living within you, then the, Holy, the, the demon, the evil spirit, cannot uh, dwell permanently in, in your heart. So as far as being demon-possessed, no. But uh, demon-influenced, yes. You, you can be influenced and persuaded by demons to do things that uh, spiritually you would not do. When you got saved, your old fleshly nature uh, still resides within you. And uh, if I could draw a circle for you and put a line down the middle of it and put your human spirit on one side and the Holy Spirit on the other, and the Holy Spirit tells your human spirit what you can do. So there's, there's no room in, in your heart for the, for the demon to possess you permanently, but he can influence you. He can appeal to that old fleshly nature. Paul talks about this over in the book of Romans, chapter 7, where he talks about the struggle, the civil war that's going on in his life. And what he wanted to do, uh, he didn't do. And what he should not have done, that was what he was doing. And he cries out, woe with me, I am undone. What shall I do? The answer, of course, is the Lord Jesus. Uh, that uh, you turn it over to the Lord and uh, you don't open yourself up to the influences of the devil. How does a person become demonically possessed? Uh, I think it's a matter of the mind. 
I think it's, that's where it begins. I think your mind is the battlefield on which the, which the spiritual warfare takes place. That's why the Bible is constantly reminding us that we are to be transformed and not be conformed to this world. And how are we to do that? By the renewing of our minds. And, and so I believe that your mind is the battlefield. And when you are tempted, you're simply opening up the door that gives access to that evil spirit and if you continue to yield to that temptation and continue to live in sin, it will grow and get progressively worse and worse and worse until finally you, you become possessed. Uh, an unbeliever will become possessed. Now, uh, what about children? I know that in the Bible, uh, there are references to children. There, there is over in the ninth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, a father who is greatly disturbed about his son because his son is possessed by a demon. And, and he says at times he throws him into the fire, throws him in the water, tries to kill him. And he said, I came to your disciples. There wasn't anything that they could do for him. And now I'm appealing to you, help my son. And of course he said, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Well, how can a child become demonically possessed? The only answer that I have to that, uh, it may not be the, accurate, the, the, the right one, but it's one that I think there is truth to that. You go back to the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, verses 4, 5, and 6, there is a second commandment there. A second commandment in which the Lord said that you were not to bow down and worship any idols. And anyone who would do that would have the third and fourth generation of their children be, to be visited as a consequence of that. Let me read it for you. Exodus 20, verses 4, 5, and 6. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship those idols or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. And so in this uh, commandment, the Lord is saying, don't worship idols, don't bow down to them. If you do, then the third and fourth generation of your children will be affected by that. And other than that, that's the only explanation that I would have to give to you as to if a child is demonically possessed, how that could be so. Remember too what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 14, that when a person worships an idol, they are not wor worshiping the object if it's a stone or a stick or whatever it may be. Rather, Paul says, when you bow down and worship an idol, in reality, what you're doing is worshiping a demon. There are demons that are behind the idols. And that's why the Lord said, don't make an idol. Don't bow down to an idol and don't worship an idol. And that's why Paul says, don't do it because you become involved. You are exposing yourself to the demonic world. And uh, when you do, then you, if you're not a Christian, you will be possessed by one. If you're not a Christian, I mean, if you are a Christian, then you can be influenced by, by the devil. Now, in the fourth chapter of the book of Mark, when you come to the end of the fourth chapter, there is a tremendous storm that is taking place. Jesus and the disciples are in a boat. They are about to sink. There's getting to be more water in the boat than there, are, than there is in the, in the ocean. And so they wake up the Lord and say, do you not care that we perish? Jesus stands up and he says, and he speaks to the wind and the waves. Hush, be still. 
In the Greek language, in essence, what he was doing was put a muzzle on the wind, just like if you had a dog that uh, maybe you were uh, taking him to the pet groomer to uh, trim his hair or so forth or to get, operate on him or give him a shot or whatever, you put a muzzle on his mouth so it can't bite you. So the Greek language there, when he said to the wind and the waves, hush and be still, calm down, he was more or less putting a muzzle on the wind. You see, Jesus is Lord. He is Lord over everything. He created this world. He can do with this world and with this weather whatever he pleases to do. And there he chose to calm the wave and the wind. That was a physical storm. When you come to the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, you have another kind of storm. You have a spiritual storm. A storm in which an individual has become possessed by demons. His name is Legion which means many, and there is turmoil within him. And we're going to see how he was tormented and what the turmoil was that he was having to deal with in the message today. So the first thing that I want to point out to you on your outline is in verses 1 through 13, you have a description of a miserable soul, a miserable soul. There are at least eight descriptive terms that are used in these first 13 verses that describe what this man was having to deal with. And the first one was an unclean spirit, an unclean spirit. Notice in verse 2, verse 8, and verse 13, the use of the word unclean spirit. Verse 2, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Then you'll skip down to verse 8. For he had been saying, that is, Jesus had been repeatedly saying to the demon, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And in verse 13, Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirit entered the swine. So three places in chapter 5, the term unclean spirit is used to describe the demon or demons that dwelt within this individual. The word unclean means morally filth, morally filth, impure, unfit, lewd. The scripture tells us, and this, uh, this episode of the uh, demon-possessed man is uh, recorded by M M Matthew as well, and Luke as well as Mark. So in all three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you'll find a reference to, uh, uh, to what's taking place in this man. And uh, he has an unclean spirit within him. This, uh, the Bible also says that this man was naked. He took off all of his clothes. They couldn't keep clothes on him. He, he was possessed by an immoral, lewd, filthy demon. And uh, Jesus, we don't have the time to look at it, but Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to, through 23, Jesus talks about uh, the uncleanness of an unregenerate individual. And he says, it's not what goes into the person that defiles the person that goes into his stomach. That's not what defiles a person and makes a person unclean. What makes a person unclean and defiles him is what comes out of his heart. Not what goes into his stomach, but what comes out of his heart. Uh, well, we, ju we just need to take a moment and look at it. Mark chapter 7, uh, beginning with verse 14. And I want to skip down to... Uh, Verse 20, Mark 7, verse 20. And Jesus was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of the man proceeds what? 
evil thoughts, fornication, thefts, murder, adultery, deeds of covetousness, wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things proceed from within and defile the man. So it's not what you eat that goes into your stomach that defiles you. It's what's in your heart. You have an evil heart. Jeremiah says your heart is deceitful. Who can know it? The Lord said, I can know it. I can change it. I can control it. But this unclean spirit it, it was an evil, morally filthy, impure uh, demon that possessed him. And, and pornography today, uh, obscenity in the media, in our movies, in literature, in homosexuality, uh, it is, our, our society is rampant with lewd and immoral, filthy uh, actions, attitudes uh, that we see in our community. I'm not saying that every single thing uh, and every single person who's involved in that kind of thing would be demonically possessed, but certainly influenced. We see it in our society today. But not only an unclean spirit, notice the second thing is isolation. Look at verse 3. He had his dwelling among the tombs. So he had been cut off probably by the people themselves, uh, uh, isolated from and separated from the people. And, uh, you know, sin will do that to, to an individual. Sin separates us from God. Uh, the Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 59 in the first two verses, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he can't save, his ear is not deaf that he cannot hear, but it is your sins that have separated you from your God and your iniquities that have hid his face from you that he will not hear you. So sin, what sin does is separate you from God. That happened at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 where Adam and Eve had enjoyed for a long time fellowship with the Lord. But when they disobeyed God and brought sin into their lives and into the worlds, a wall of separation was built and the things between them and the Lord would never be the same again. And the same thing is true with you and me. When you and I sin, sin separates us from God. And that's what happened here to this man. He was isolated from society. Notice number three, supernatural strength. Look at verses three and four of Mark chapter five. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. No one was able to bind him anymore. Well, evidently they had been able to at one time, but now it says they were not able to bind him anymore, which suggests that the more he had been possessed, the stronger he became to the point that nobody could bind him. They put chains all over him, but nothing would, nothing would stop him. No one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. So a demon-possessed individual, and the demons are very strong. There are angels they can, that are fallen, but they can do a lot, a lot of things. Sin will make a slave out of you. Jesus said, he who commits sin becomes a servant to sin. Notice number four, tormented. Look at verse five and also in verse seven. Verse five, constantly night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. Verse seven, shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other? Jesus, son of the most high God, I implore you, do not torment me. And this word torment literally means to be punished a painful punishment that he, he was not wanting to, uh, the Lord to punish him and torment him. Notice he says in verses five and seven that he was screaming, that he was shouting with a loud voice, and then he cut, took stones and he would cut himself and bleed. He was out of control 
and he was being tormented and he was afraid uh, that the Lord, who is the Lord over all the, uh, of creation, including the demons, not that he's in control of them, but that, I mean, he's the Lord and the master. And, uh, and they say, don't, don't throw us into the abyss now. Have you come before our time? Don't torment us, they were crying out. And so uh, he is able to, uh, be, he's, tor he's tormented. Number five, uh, he recognized the authority of Jesus. Notice in verses six and seven, seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him and shouting with a loud voice, he said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. So the devil and the demons know who Jesus is. They know that he is the son of God. Uh, and uh, they, they, this demon recognized him as such, calling him the most high God. This term, the most high God, is used in the Bible exclusively of the Gentiles who would address the Lord. The Jewish people did not, they, their name for the Lord was Jehovah. Uh, a, a pagan individual would refer to God as the most high God. We'll see more about this in a moment. And so they recognized the Lord Jesus. Demons do. The Satan knows who he is. Number six, multiple personalities. Look at verse nine. Notice in verse nine, and he was asking him, what is your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. See the term many there? Then if you'll notice in verses 12 and 13, the demons, in plural, implored him saying, send us, plural, into the swine so that we may enter them. And so Jesus gave them permission and coming out the unclean spirits, it's plural, entered the swine and the herd rushed down and there were some 2,000 of them that were drowned in the sea. So there were multiple demons, 2,000 of them at least the scripture says. And so uh, this individual, the demons would use him and the demons I guess would take turns coming out in their personalities and uh, personifying themselves through this individual. So there was multiple personalities. And uh, Jesus kept asking, what's your name? What's your name? It is believed that the reason why you want the name is so when you know the name of a demon, you can control that demon. Okay. Then number seven, suicidal. This comes from verse 13 where it says, Jesus gave them permission and coming out, the unclean spirit entered the swine They rushed down the steep bank and they were drowned in uh, in, in the sea or in the ocean, all 2,000 of them. Now for me to use the term suicidal, I am not, and please listen to me when I say this, I am not saying that every individual, nor does the Bible say that every individual who commits suicide is demonically possessed, okay? I'm just saying that this is what happened here in this case of this man. When, when Jesus, it says, gave them permission, which we'll see in a moment, talks about his authority. Jesus is Lord. They had to ask him for permission and said, and so Jesus gave them permission and they went into the swine and the swine went crazy and, and went over the, the steep cliff and, and drowned in the ocean. You see, for, for the demon to not be uh, uh, dwelling in the body of a human being, he didn't have any other place to go but to the abyss. Now they're in the bodies of these swine. Now the swine are dead. And now where did the demons go? Well, the Bible doesn't say. It is assumed that they ended up in the place of torment where they didn't want to go in the first place. And that is the deep abyss. And there they are, I assume to this day, the day will come when the abyss will be opened up, the demons will come out, but they will eventually all be assigned to hell to spend eternity in hell with the devil. 
And as I've told you again and again, the devil is not in charge of hell. God is. Devil, the, hell is a place prepared by the Lord just like heaven is a prepared place. Hell is a prepared place for the devil and his angels and all whose names are not written in the book of life. Now notice the third thing, uh, another thing. Driven. This comes from Luke chapter 8 and verse 29. In Luke 8, 29, the Bible says that Jesus commanded to the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had seized him many times, and he was bound with chains and shackles and kept under guard, and yet he would break his bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So the demon was in charge, and the demon was driving this individual, and uh, uh, drove him out into uh, the wilderness, into the desert. Uh, now there's a big difference in who's doing the driving because the Bible also says that Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit out into the desert. The, Jesus was not driven by the devil. The, the man, the demons were driven but, uh, by, the, by, the, by the Lord, but the Holy, the Holy Spirit was driving uh, Jesus out into the wilderness. So there's a big difference in who's doing the driving. And then the last thing, the last characteristic is that of insanity. Insanity. Look at verse 15. They came to Jesus and they observed or witnessed or examined the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. Now to say of this man that he was now clothed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in his right mind would imply that evidently prior to this, he had not been in his right mind. So he was out of his mind. He was insane. Insanity then is the characteristic of demonic possession. Let's go on then because of the time limit to look at the second idea and that is a mighty savior, a mighty savior. Uh, in verse seven, you see Jesus as the person who is in command. Notice in verse seven, uh, and shouting with a loud voice and said, what business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? What business do we have with each other is a statement that would be used to say, we have nothing in common. Uh, we're nothing like you. You're nothing like us. We have nothing in common. What business do we have with one another? None whatsoever, other than that Jesus was in control. Notice he uses the term Jesus, son of the most high God. Now find this interesting, that this term Jesus, son of most high God. Do you remember the other Sunday when we were talking about uh, Satan and how Lucifer became the devil? You remember in Isaiah chapter 14 and Ezekiel chapter 28, the two Old Testament passages that talk about Satan and describe him? What was his desire? Oh, he says, I want to ascend to the mountain on high. I want to be on the throne of God. I want to be like the most high. See, Satan says, I want to be God. I want to be the most high God. That was the term the devil used. That's the term the demons use. What have we to do with you? Jesus, son of God, the most high, the most high. And so now they're admitting that there's only one God. And that's why uh, in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 45, Isaiah, the Holy, the Holy Spirit uh, motivated him to say of the Lord, I am the Lord and there is no other besides me for there is no other God. I will gird you, he said, through, though you have not known me, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me, and I am the Lord, and there is no other. 
So the term that the devil was using to identify Jesus was a recognition of who Jesus was and is. He is the son of the most high God. That's what the devil wanted to do and be. But let's go on. Not only the person of the command, but the power of the command. So notice in verse 13, when the demons implored, implored or begged Jesus to, to uh, not send them into the abyss, but to send them into the swine. Notice in verse 13, it says, and Jesus gave them what? Permission. Gave them permission. Uh, so Jesus is, is um, of, of great authority and of great power. You remember when uh, he gave his great commission, he said, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Uh, when you come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the people are amazed in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Matthew concludes the Sermon on the Mount with these words, and the people were amazed because Jesus did not teach them as the other scribes and Pharisees, he taught as one who had authority. So our Lord has authority. He is in control of this world and uh, he is Lord over the demons and he gave them permission to go into the swine. The third thing, there is a miraculous salvation uh, that takes place here in this man. There is a change that he experienced and a commission that he received. In verse 15, it says, they came to Jesus and observed or looked at or examined the man who had been demonically possessed or demon possessed. And there are four things here that are used in verse 15 to describe the change that took place in this man who had been possessed by a demon. First of all, he was resting. That is, in verse 15, it says he was sitting down. Now, prior to this, what was it? He was a maniac. He was running, over, he was, he was running from one end of the, of the cemetery to the other. Uh, screaming and hollering with a loud voice. But he's not running now. He's sitting down at the feet of Jesus and he's resting. You see, that's what the Lord does for you. Whether you're demonically possessed or whether you've just been influenced by the devil or where you got burdens and troubles and heartaches and problems. What did Jesus said? Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? Rest, rest. Oh, how we need to rest. Jesus, come aside and rest a while. It was Vance Havner who said we need to all come aside and rest a while, come apart and rest a while before we come apart. So this is one of the things that evidenced there was a change in his behavior and in his personality. Now he was at rest on the inside. He was sitting. Notice the second thing, there was reverence. Because in Luke chapter 8 verse 35 says where he was sitting. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. And my, there's no other better place to be than to sit at the feet of Jesus and to commune in fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he had reverent respect for him. Then the third thing was that he was robed. In verse 15 it says, and he was clothed. Prior to this, he was running around naked. And I can't help but think that some of these people in our society today, like uh, Myra Silas, uh, uh, way, uh, the obscene things that she's done and uh, that I'm told that she's done and everything is just unbelievable. How our society, you know, when the swine went down into the sea, that to me illustrates exactly what the devil does to you. He takes you down and down and down and down and down and down in the filth and lewdness of this world. He'll do it. And yet here's a man now no longer insane, but he has his mind and he's at peace and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus and he's clothed. He's clothed. I'll resist following that rabbit, so let's go on. 
And then the final thing, the number four, he was rational. He was in his right mind. To be in his right mind, of course, uh, means that he could control his mind, control his passions. He was no longer under the screaming control of the demons. And he could think for himself. He was commissioned. Uh, he wanted to go with Jesus. When Jesus was told that he had to leave and he started to get into the boat, uh, he begged Jesus, let me go with you. That's what the word implored, employing says in verse 18. He was getting into the boat. Jesus was. The man came to him who was demon possessed and imploring him, begged him. Jesus, let me go with you. Let me go with you. But Jesus commissioned him. You know, even, even though he wouldn't let the man get into the boat with him, Jesus was with him just like he's with you, is he not? I mean, if, you, if you're a Christian, Jesus lives in you. Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You can't ever go anywhere without Jesus. Everywhere you go, Jesus goes with you if you are a Christian. So you're never alone anymore. And, but this time, instead of letting the man get in the boat and go with him, he said, no, you need to go home. You've got a family there. You had not seen your family in a long time. They think you're all crazy. They all know you're demon-possessed. You need to go and show yourself to them. Show them what I have done for you and publicize to them, tell them, proclaim to them, share with them what the mercy that you have received and the healing that has taken place. Folks, that's what we're supposed to do today. We're supposed to go to, where, where's our mission field? Well, you can start in your home. You can start with your children, start with your spouse, start with your parents, start with your relatives. Tell them what Jesus has done for you. Has Jesus ever done anything for you? Have you ever experienced the mercy and grace and the forgiveness and the love of Almighty God as demonstrated through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ? You need to go to your home. You need to go to your families. You need to go to those people that you work with and that you associate with and share with them. The psalmist says, come unto me and I will tell you what the Lord has done for me. What has the Lord done for you? Has the Lord done anything for you? Is it worth bragging about and talking about? We need to brag on Jesus. Paul said, God forbid that I should both save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so go home and tell your family, tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your fellow employees what God has done for you. That's what Jesus commissioned this individual to do. That's what he commissions us to do in Matthew chapter eight, uh, 28, verses 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. The final thing here is a misfortunate situation. A misfortunate situation. You would, thought, you would have thought that people would have been rejoicing over this man's conversion and his salvation, especially in the deliverance from these demons, many, these 2,000 uh, demons that were possessing this individual. You thought they would have rejoiced. This man, man, he'd been cleaned up, he'd been saved, he'd been regenerated, he's in his right mind. But no, what happens? They become fearful. Look at verse 15. And they, which means the people, came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had these legions, and they became frightened, frightened. It's uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 8 and verse 37 says, they were gripped with great fear. They just, fear just got a hold of them. And fear does, fear can get a hold of you. And they were afraid, they couldn't understand it, they couldn't explain it, and they were afraid of it. And so in fear, it says uh, that they employed Jesus to leave. 
verse 17. And they, verse 16, those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man and, and all about the swine. And they began to implore or beg Jesus to leave. Can you imagine that? The Son of God in your midst saw a miracle take place of a man being restored in his mind and in his body and delivered from all of these demons. And they say, in essence, Jesus, get out of here. We don't want you. We don't want you. You know, that's what society is saying to us today. Get out of here, Jesus. We don't want you in our schools. We don't want you in our government. You, you just leave us alone. Get out of here and leave us alone. That's what the world is saying. They're frightened. They're frightened of God. They're afraid of God. Well, if I lived in sin, I would be too. And so out of fear, they begged Jesus to leave, to leave. But not only fear, finances. I know it's not stated here, and so maybe I'm stretching it a little bit. I hope not. But you know, they, when those 2,000 swine went, went over the hill and drowned, ka-ching, 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 <laughs> money, 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 2,000 swine, 2,000 pigs, 2,000 hogs, isn't it a shame? They thought more about hogs than they did humans. Thought more about the pigs than they did people. You know, you get in a person's pocketbook, you, you, you pretty well do whatever. You ever, you ever seen the Baptist twist? That's when the preacher talks about money and they put the hand in the pocket. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sorry, the devil made me say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Get your punch in while you can. Yeah. They were not happy about losing all of this money. And so out of fear and out of financial loss, they said, Jesus, we don't want you here anymore. Leave. Leave. What about you? I know most of you, 99% of you do know know you love the Lord and I pray you know I, all of us are tempted at times we are we're human and we had to depend on the Lord you know the Bible says the answer for a Christian to defeat the devil and the demons in his life is submit yourself unto the Lord resist the devil and he'll flee from you don't ever try to resist the temptation or the devil in your own initiative and in your own strength you'll fail every time I guarantee you you will. So the key to it is first, you submit to God. You turn it over to the Lord. And when you turn it over to the Lord, then you just use the name of Jesus and say, in the name of Jesus, devil, get away from me. Demon, get away from me. He has no choice but to leave. But to leave. And what about you here today? If you don't know the Lord as your personal Savior, you are subject to demonic possession. It may not all come at first, but it'll come. You know, the person who took his first drink socially never thought that he would end up being an alcoholic. But if you're not careful, taking that first drink might be a sip of wine. The next thing you know, it's another sip and another sip. Maybe it's a beer here and a beer there. Then the alcohol, stronger, stronger. And you'll end up an alcoholic. So the devil's not going to show you that. You know, the advertisements for the beer industry and the liquor industry, it's all beautiful. And, you know, you only go around once in life. Get all the gusto you can. They don't tell you. They end up in, in the slum. 
And uh, I've, I've told our, 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 our people on Sunday night many times, there's a movie you ought to watch. If you're, if you're subject to alcohol, you ought to watch the movie, The Days of Wine and Roses. It's, it's not a religious movie at all. It's a Jack Lemmon and, and I can't think of the lady who's starring in it, but it's a movie you ought to watch. It's called The Days of Wine and Roses. It's terrible how their lives end up in the gutter. So, you know, you, you start smoking pot, marijuana. You know, everybody say, oh, let's legalize marijuana and do all of this stuff. You start smoking joints, and the next thing you know, it's cocaine. And, uh, you, you get hooked on drugs. You start flirting with the woman there at your office. Whoever thought just flirting, just being, you know, oh, you look pretty today, you're nice, you smell good, you dress well. Never thought just an innocent flirtation could lead into a, an adulterous relationship, ruin your life, ruin your family. Oh, the devil's smart. He'll ruin you. You know, Jesus said the devil came to do two things, kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. Which do you want? What the devil has to offer or what Jesus has to offer? Let's bow together. Father God, Holy Spirit, how I pray that you'll take your word, not mine, but yours. And Holy Spirit, drive it into our hearts and our minds and in our souls and in our spirit. Open our eyes that we might see the invisible army that is around us today and that we are indeed in the middle of the mother of all battles. For we fight not against flesh and blood, but spiritual principalities and powers and the rulers of the world of spiritual darkness. We thank you, though, that we are not defeated, that we know how this war ends, and that we are on the side of, of the, vic the victor, the Lord Jesus. And I pray for all of us here today, Lord, all of us who are Christians, that we'll wake up and realize that we need to be constantly on our guard for we never know when the devil is going to throw his fiery darts at us. And Father, if there's one here today, and perhaps there is, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, never opened their hearts and lives up to you, Holy Spirit of God, remove the, the, the shade from their eyes that have blinded them from seeing you, seeing the Lord Jesus in all his purity and his holiness and his love and in his grace, and that they might come in a repentant spirit and trust and embrace the Lord Jesus as Lord and Savior. And may they respond, Holy Spirit, to your leadership during this time of invitation is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand, please, and the Lord speaks to your heart, you've come. <laughs>